them. If you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus speaks, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by, his, by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used the figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said it again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me, they're thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus says, have come that they may have life, abundant life, life to the full. Life to the full. There's a lot going on in those 10 verses. I'm actually going to be spending a whole sermon uh, just on Jesus as the Good Shepherd. That's going to be August 6th. But today I really want to focus on four verses, verses 7 through 10. He tells us, again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me, they were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and he will go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus declares, have come that they may have life. Everyone say life. life. And have it to the full. Twice he says he is the gate. He tells us that anyone who enters, anyone who enters through him will be saved. They will go in and they will go out. They will find pasture. They will find life. So Jesus says, I am the gate. Now hopefully uh, you've noticed during this series, again we're in the Behold I Am series. This is week four. And hopefully you've noticed he describes himself in different ways. And these different descriptions of who he is, they're always found in the context of of the situation that he's in, right? So he feeds the 5,000, and then after the feeding of the 5,000, he calls himself uh, the, what, the bread of life. Or in the context of this lighting ceremony, remember last week during the Feast of Tabernacles, this grand uh, lighting ceremony, that's uh, after the feast is when he said, I am the light of the world. To truly understand this declaration today of him being the gate or being the door, uh, you have to take a step back. You have to understand, once again, the context of what's going on at the beginning of John chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you're probably already open to John 10. Flip back a couple of pages to John chapter 9. You'll notice, if you've been attending LifeSpring for a little bit, we read a lot of Scripture, and we've been reading large portions of Scripture all at once. Uh, part of that is because I've sat through sermons where the pastor never mentions Scripture, and that kind of scares me. Or we just use one verse and take it grossly out of context and uh, create a whole theology on that, which I think is kind of scary as well. So we're trying to read as much as we can a lot of Scripture to get a bigger picture of everything that's going on. This story, by the way, chapter 9, it's a great story. You're probably familiar with it. This man, he's born blind from birth, but then he receives his sight. Right? Jesus does this amazing miracle in this man's life. I want you to pay attention as I read it. 
how different people in the story react differently to this miracle. So verse uh, 1 of chapter 9. As he went along, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I love that. Uh, verse 6, after saying this, he spit on the ground. That's kind of cool as well. Spits on the ground, makes some mud with his saliva, and puts it on the man's eyes. If you've never heard this story before, you're like, what are you talking about? Jesus spit into some mud with some saliva? Yeah, he did. It gets better. So he, he kind of makes the mud, puts it on the guy's uh, eyes, and then he says, verse 7, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. If you remember last week, I, I, I talked a little bit about that. So the man went, and he washed, and he came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging. They said, man, what, isn't this the same man who used to sit and who used to beg? Same, some claimed he was. Others disagreed. They said, no, it just looks like him. But then the man himself speaks up and says, yeah, I am the man. Well, how were your eyes opened? He replied, the man they called Jesus. He made some mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, verse 12? Well, I don't know. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, it was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Well, he put mud in my eyes, the man replied. I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, this man Jesus, he's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, well, how could a sinner perform such signs? And so there's a little bit of a division going on here, some disagreement. So they turned to the blind man. What have you to say about Jesus? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, well, he is a prophet. They still not believe that he was, uh, had been blind and had received his sight. And so they send in the guy's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Well, we know he is our son. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. This is very important. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, they'd be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Well, a second time, they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And they asked him, well, what did he do to you? Like, how did he open your eyes? He answered, I, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> they didn't like that so much. They began to hurl insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But, that, but as for this fellow Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they threw him out. Threw him out. 
So this miracle, this amazing, supernatural, incredible miracle, it, it rattles people. I think you've noticed that in this scene. It causes quite a commotion. It catches the attention of everybody there. People knew this guy, right? They couldn't understand how his eyes could have been opened, and the man says it's because of Jesus. The Bible says the people brought the man to the Pharisees. They ask questions, you know, how can this happen? How did he do it? There's a little bit of division because Jesus heals on the Sabbath. How could you do that? You can't do any work on the Sabbath, so Jesus must be a sinner, but then how could a sinner do such a miraculous thing like make a blind man see? So there's this discussion. Many don't believe in the miracle. They bring in the parents, right? The parents, if you've noticed, they don't want any trouble. Isn't it obvious uh, by what, what they say in verse 22? They're, they're like, man, he can speak for himself. Actually, the verse before that, he can speak for himself. Ask him. They say this because of verse 22. They were afraid. This is very important to today. They were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews, or the Jewish leaders, they had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. So that means you start believing in Jesus, Right, you start believing in his miracles, you start believing he's the Christ, you believe that he's the one that would come and deliver God's people. That is, in this time and in this setting, that is a one-way ticket out of the synagogue, right? You're getting thrown out of the synagogue, thrown out of the place, the community where Jews gathered to worship the Lord and to learn about the Lord. It's a pretty big deal. The man's parents don't want that to happen to them, so they just say, you know, ask, ask our boy. You can ask him, he can answer and so they bring the guy back, give glory to God, tell us the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. They said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. They're like, how did he do it? And then he gives that zinger, like, what, you want to hear it again? You want to be his disciples too? And there that must have been kind of spicy, right? We don't know exactly how he said it, but there must have been a little spice to it because they're not real happy uh, with him after that. They start hurling insults at him. And then verse 34 they start yelling at him, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then it happened. They threw him out. They threw him out. And again, I, I don't think we understand what a big deal that is to be thrown out of a Jewish community. It's not like here. It's not like you just kind of go down the road and just go to the Church of Joy or go to the Edge or go to Mission Woods or something like that. You don't have those types of options. But yet now, because Jesus has healed you by which, by the way, Jesus healing us should be like the most incredible, awesome, amazing thing ever to happen in our lives. And yet now, because you have been healed, you are cast out of this religious community. Religious leaders, they, they've thrown them out. They're, they're letting them know that the door, the gate to Yahweh, the door to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we have closed that door to you. Man, yeah, you're blind, but now you can see it. We don't care. You, you can no longer enter. No surprise, Jesus has a little different take on things. His response to the man is definitely not the same as the Jewish leaders. He actually hears about the man being kicked out, and Jesus finds him. That's what we, we find if we continue to read the chapter. In verse 35, Jesus finds the man. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asks. Tell me so that I might believe in him. You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And then Jesus says, For judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this, and they asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. 
That's one of those scenes where Jesus is just so amazing to me. We've got to understand this. When Jesus came to earth, Jesus coming to the earth 2,000 years ago, it ends up dividing people. His coming is a cause of great division. And this is a perfect example where those who accept him, those who believe in him, guess what? They receive their sight. Those who reject him, they become blind. They walk in darkness. The Bible actually records that many people saw Jesus, but not everyone believed in him, right? There was many people who rejected Christ. They said, no, we don't believe you. We don't believe that you're God. We don't believe that you're the gate. We don't believe that you're the door. In fact, we already know God. We already know the gate. We know the, the door. We know all that. You, are, you, Jesus, you are not that. They reject Christ. And with his own words, uh, we're told that they stay guilty in their sin. But now, in this context of the man being rejected and Christ being rejected, in the midst of the religious system casting both of them out, Jesus makes his remarks in John chapter 10, verse 7. I tell you the truth. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. We, we got to understand there's some reference here to those religious leaders that just kicked this guy out. But Jesus says, hey, don't worry. Eyes on me. I'm the gate. They're not the gate. They've been nothing but thieves and robbers. I am the gate. And anyone who enters through me will be saved. In fact, if you come to me, you will get to go in and out. Freedom. Freely. Go in and out and find pasture. The thief, he only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But see, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You know, maybe they have kicked you out, but look at me. I don't kick you out. Believe in me. Come through me, and you will live. This whole thing speaks to my heart on a very personal level because there's been so many times where it's felt like the system has closed the gate on me or closed the gate on people that I love. That who you are just doesn't seem to fit in their gate. And so the religious system throws you out. It reminds me of a family that I knew. Their mom and dad had gone to a revival service, and they had come from a pretty conservative congregation, and yet they went to this service, and they had this huge supernatural encounter with Jesus where they fell down under the power of the Holy Spirit. They fell down, meaning that they were now on the ground as they were worshiping the Lord. I, I've never fallen down like that before, but I've witnessed God move enough times in my life that sometimes he comes in such weight and in such power that people find themselves resting on the ground as the Holy Spirit just invades them and fills them up. Many of you have had that encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, two of my best friends, they had encounters with the Holy Spirit like this. I mean, they weren't, they'd never even seen it before. Uh, it was actually your dad was uh, praying at a camp we were doing, and both my buddies, they just, the Lord came on, and they fell down. Both those guys are in full-time ministry now. It changed the directory of their lives, and yet for this family they have this experience and then they go back to church and they're just fired up and they and they tell their pastor and they're telling their friends about this amazing thing that God had done and the church told them it was of the devil it was of the devil you had to renounce it and say it wasn't of God and yet they couldn't do it. I mean, it's so much like the story of the blind man. How, uh, the blind man can't denounce it. Uh, they couldn't denounce it. We were blind, but now we see God has touched us in such a miraculous way. There's no way, 
No way that family was going to denounce what they had experienced. And so that church kicked them out, kicked them out of the body. They closed the gates. Or in my own life, many of you know I was a student leader of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at the University of Wyoming. Before then, I spent two years at Green River Community College. Go Gators. Gators, is, we don't have Gators. It's just hilarious that we're called the Gators. But anyways, I was one of the leaders of this Bible study at Green River. And, and the main leader and I, we actually became really good friends. I and mean, we're 18, 19-year-old kids. We were doing some awesome awesome things for the Lord. Just, we just came alive uh, just trying to you know, do what God was asking us to do. But then one day he asked me who I voted for for president. And I told him, which was the last time I will ever tell anyone who I vote for. <laughs> By the way, I think my person got fifth, so you can look that up and see who that is. But he said, because of that, we could no longer be friends. And that group, that Bible study, closed the gate on me. Still, I can barely talk about it. We're saying service level. It's one of the most hurtful things that has ever happened to me. Or I think about what we've done with denominations. We put up a lot of gates, making it hard for people to enter. Sometimes we can be very good at keeping people out. But that's not Jesus. It feels really good to say that. Jesus doesn't close the gate on us. In fact, Jesus actually opens it for anyone who believes in him. And that's why as a church, we must remind ourselves that we are not the gate. Jesus is the gate, and you enter through him to be saved. That means, as well, that you don't come through LifeSpring to be saved. You don't come through Pastor Dan to be saved. You don't come through a religious system or institution, even good theology, to be saved. Now, sometimes, hallelujah, Jesus uses a pastor or he uses a church. Jesus even uses good theology to help people get through the gate. Hopefully, as a church, we're doing our best to shine a brilliant light on the gate. Hopefully, we're just continually pointing people to the gate. But we are not the gate. Jesus is the gate to true abundant, joy-filled life. It said that shepherds, or they would, this is pretty cool, they would create these sheep pens, and they would use the large rocks to, to create this enclosure, but then there'd be this opening, and the opening was a, a place where the sheep could go in and out, and it was at the opening that the shepherd would lie down, and the shepherd acted as the gate. So even if there was a wolf or a thief, they would have to climb over the shepherd to get into the pen. I, I love that. And Jesus is the good shepherd. That's what he does for us, right? He allows his sheep, his followers, those who know his voice, he allows them to come in, allows them to go out, to find pasture. And he's really good at keeping thieves and robbers and wolves out. He's really good at it. Like he's really good at his job. And yet, when you look at the history of Christianity, I just got done reading a book actually on the history of Christianity. Religion has always tried to take his job and be in control of the gate to the sheep pen, right? Just think of the various rules and regulations that have been placed on human beings for centuries in regards to what you must do or not do to enter the gate to abundant 
life. A popular religious statement is this, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. You ever heard that one, right? <laughs> don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. It's the idea of do this, but don't do this, right? Do a lot of this, don't do any of that. That's the idea that morality or good behavior is the gate that leads to abundant life. Or sometimes in religion, it's popular to make money the gate. More specifically, giving money. That giving money is the gate to abundant life. By the way, I think you should give. I think you should tithe. I'd tell you that whether I was your pastor or not. Give the first 10% of whatever you've earned. Give it back to the Lord. Cheer for heart in celebration and enjoy. Give back to the Lord. Thank God for being the great provider. But man, have I heard some crazy and absurd, flat-out ridiculous sermons on giving that are just so heavy on manipulation and they feel like just one big guilt trip. I've told you guys this before, but I had the worst experience of my life. That first year in Wyoming, the pastor, every Sunday, I could only stay for a year, finally had to go to a different church. Uh, it was the worst. I mean, every Sunday he gave a 15-minute sermon on tithing before his actual sermon. And I mean, I know he loved the Lord, but he would be up there and his wife would be standing up there and he would talk about, like, he would, he would give us always, there was like two or three points to this 15-minute message. He'd talk about how the blessings we, he would come. He'd talk about how the prosperity would come. He'd talk about how the seed would come, the harvest. By the way, I believe in all of that. I have been blessed in my giving. I am prosperous in the Lord, but in ways that go way beyond how much money is in my bank account. And yet every Sunday morning as a 21-year-old guy, I was hearing that money was the gate to abundant life. I just had to give a bunch to the, uh, to the church, and then God would give it all back to me. But they would say, but this time he gives it back with interest. That's what they preach. I'm not making it up. That's what religion was preaching to me. Give to the Lord. He'll give back to you with interest. And yet money, money is not the gate to abundant life. What I see is there's a great power that money has on people, and they kind of feel guilty about it. So then we just use a couple of scriptures to spiritualize the inappropriate and immature response we have towards money. But Jesus says there's only one gate. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John and Peter, they boldly declare, Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else. And so there is good news today. Enter through Christ and you will live. Amen. Simple, simple truth. Enter through Christ and you will live. Now buckle up. Get ready. Because when you enter through his gate, you're signing up for the abundant life. That's what John 10, 10 just told us. We're talking life to the full. So that means some of the things from your previous life, they just aren't going to fit anymore. I've noticed this in my own life. As you walk through the gate of Jesus, you begin to change. You begin to enter into the process of becoming more like Jesus. May I dare say you might even grow in your morals. Your morality might even improve just a little bit as you are conformed to the image of Christ. May I dare say you might even grow in your giving. You might increase in your giving as you turn to Christ instead of money and possessions for your satisfaction and your fulfillment. Entering through the gate of Jesus changes you. In the best of ways, it changes you. 
But be wary of the false change that the gate of the religious system promises you. Be wary of the false change that the gate of the religious system promises you. It's enticing because on the outside it kind of works. It kind of works. There's an appearance of change. With this list of rules and regulations in your hand, you can kind of end up saying all the right things. You can kind of even end up doing all the right things. But the scary part, and I hope it makes us shudder just a little bit, that you can look one way on the outside, even look perfect on the outside without any real change happening on the inside. And yet Jesus really cares about what's going on in the inside. Listen to how Jesus speaks to the Pharisees on this issue. The Pharisees, they're the religious all-stars of the day. They knew the law better than anybody. They observed it with a passion. And by the way, they get kind of a bad rap. There was some good Pharisees out there. There were God-fearing men who were committed to following the Lord and His ways. But then there was others that they had just lost their way. And Jesus comes in and he calls them out. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. He says, in the same way, on the outside, you appear as people to people as righteous, but on the inside... You're full of hypocrisy, full of wickedness. See, these are the rule followers, right? These are the ones that are getting A on the test. And yet, there had been no real transformation, change in their hearts. Beautiful on the outside, full of dead men's bones on the inside. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, I think it's chapter 2, he talks about circumcision and Jewish circumcision, it was commanded in the Old Testament, right? Even on the eighth day to be circumcised. And it was this outward sign of being set apart to God. And yet Paul says that this outward sign of circumcision, he says it doesn't mean anything if there isn't a circumcision of the heart. A circumcision of the heart. Church, what we don't understand is we are in desperate need for just a little bit of surgery on our hearts. And I think the Lord would want you to hear this today. There's only one who can perform that kind of work on your heart. A pastor can't. A church can't. That guy or lady on YouTube or GodTube or whatever tube, they can't. Religion can't. But Jesus can. Jesus can. Jesus is really good at it, actually. He's really good at his job. Jesus can change your heart. And he can actually change you from the inside out. But we have to enter through him if we want that kind of change today. And I want you to know that gate, his gate, it's open today. It's open today. It's wide open today for anyone and everyone who would want to enter. If you've been trying to live this abundant, just joy-filled, full, satisfied life through any other gate, Whatever that gate might be, I think today it might be time for you to just put a pause on that <laughs> and go 
through the gate of Jesus. And this has just been a real discussion point for many of us over the past few months in my leadership meetings and my meetings with my council, with a couple different groups I've been meeting with, talking about the future of LifeSpring. What is it going to look like five, ten years down the road? I think there's a stirring that's taking place in many of us. God is calling us to be a gathering, not of religious people, but of Jesus' people. Not religious people, but Jesus' people. Right? Where men and women, even like today, and I, I don't know some of you, but that when you come to Life Spring, you'd encounter Jesus. And whatever we thought that meant before, that it would just go a little bit deeper. I think it might be time for us just to go a little bit deeper. And so our Bible studies, our worship nights, our classes, life groups, messages, songs, just that all of it would point to the gate, point to the door, point to Jesus. And I, I believe many of us are linking arms in this, in, in our church. I, I believe there's some momentum uh, heading in the right direction. I believe that as we continue to put his name in lights, continue to celebrate what he is doing, that people are going to see Jesus. And I believe this for our community. They're going to see Jesus. They're going to enter at the gate of Jesus, and they're going to be saved. And when they're saved, they're going to be changed. And not just an outward goody two-shoe kind of change, but from the inside out changed. Give it a new life in the name of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that life isn't some mediocre, barely hanging on, drab life. No, he gives a life, a life to the full, abundant, joy-filled life. So church, would you commit with me to pointing people to Jesus? That whether a person attends here for a few years or a few months or a few Sundays or even one Sunday, that we'd be committed to the idea that every single person who walked through those doors, they'd have an opportunity to see the gate. They'd have an opportunity to enter the gate. That we would be known as a church who is radically obsessed with pointing people to the only gate that leads to eternal life, that whoever enters through him will be saved. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, you know, I, I've worked now full-time for almost 14 years in the religious system, and I love religion. I'm a religious person. But God, sometimes I just seems, I don't know if it's an American thing or if it's a church culture thing, but it's so easy for us to lose our focus. And just church addictions. Church addictions, we get addicted to programs and rituals and routines. We just get fixated on volume of instruments and flavor of coffee. We just, we get really passionate about sideline issues. And yet, God, I believe that you've been stirring many of our hearts. Now, this isn't just something that I'm feeling, that so many of us are feeling this that it's time to um, just to be broken just a little bit so that we could be built back up 
laser focused on Jesus. We want to be recalibrated. We want to be realigned on the only thing that can save us from our sins. On the only one who can lead people from chaos and darkness into abundant life. And Jesus, we know that this world is hurting. There are celebrities killing themselves. There's friends who are just trapped in addiction. We know that drugs have just become the normal for people that are trying to do their best in this world, just trying to live to the best of their abilities. And Jesus, I know you love them, and I know you care for them. And I know, I just have, I have a feeling that you want your sheep pen just to be a little bigger. You're still calling people. You're still speaking to people. And Lord, you're using us to call those people in many ways. You're, you're asking us to shine your name, to put your name on lights, to tell people the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, just help us that we want to offer people anything fake. We want to offer people anything that doesn't exist. That we would be mature believers that offer people only what we can offer. And that is, in the mighty name of Jesus, be healed. <laughs> in the mighty name of Jesus, walk. In the mighty name of Jesus, you can be forgiven and given life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Lord, I also just want you to know that we're open to you. That could this institution never become too big and too polished to where there isn't room for a radical move of your spirit. That we would get so fixated on our religious rituals and routines that you couldn't come in and just break it open. Because God, I think most of us in this room, I, these are amazing people, most of us in this room, we, we're not coming just to be a part of a system. We're coming because you saved us and you're changing us. And we want others to experience that same salvation and that same change. And so God, we put it back into your hands. We put the whole thing back into your hands. The whole thing back into your hands. The whole thing, it's your bride, it's your church, it's your body. The whole thing, just God. In this community, there's so many churches who are struggling, who are hurting, and it ticks me off. So God, shine bright. Shine bright. The enemy will not win. Darkness will not win. The enemy does not win. So, Lord, however we might be able to show your love, just help us with that. God, I pray over the VBS volunteers who are in this room right now, each one of them, God, remind them that you have commissioned them to a work this week. You have commissioned them to a work to shine the light, 
to shine the light of Christ, to show these little ones the gate, the gate who doesn't reject them, the gate who doesn't abandon them, but the gate that is open to them if they would believe in you, Jesus. So, Lord, empower these VBS workers. Give them strength. Give them abilities they did not know they had. Give them words that they had not thought of. Just begin to move and breathe and speak into their lives that they would know they're not working in their own strength, but they are being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for these little ones at VBS. We pray that they'd hear of Jesus. We pray that they'd hear of a loving Father. And that regardless of their circumstances, good or bad, that they might say yes to you, Jesus, and enter through the door. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We worship you, God. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen.